0: Hey everybody, it's me, Roscoe, and welcome to another Kings of Anglia podcast, which is proudly sponsored by Manscaped. And um, as you can hear, it is me in the hot seat once again. Hefe's gone for a lie down ahead of this big week. Um, as we all know, there's some big games ahead. Um, but obviously, Town made it 15 wins out of 20 championship games, which is just bonkers. What a win it was at Borough. I'm joined by Stuart Watson and Alex Jones as we discuss... All Things Town. Uh, let's get right into it. Stu, always a pleasure, my friend. I didn't actually see you. Didn't see both of you at Borough, <laughs> which was sad um, as I travelled up separately. Um, so this is the first time I've seen you since whenever it was. But Stu, how's things? You had a week off last week. It's great to have you back.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's strange going the, the length of the country and back and not, not seeing each other. Um, yeah, it was. Um, it made the trip home feel that a little bit shorter, didn't it? Uh, with, with the victory, that's for sure. I thought you meant with, without me then for a second. I thought, oh. oh.
0: <laughs> and that. And that as well. And that. Without needing to worry that Ross is in his earlobes, you know, chatting nonsense as I normally do. Um, AJ, always a pleasure, my friend. Part of Young Guns. How are you? All good. Yeah, I, I also thought that Stu
2: was going to go down the route of saying that. And I was thinking, well, wow, that's harsh. Um <laughs> I, I quite like some of the quizzes. I thought they were quite good that we've been doing on our road trips and you, you kind of miss it. But yeah, it's a long, long way, isn't it? Um, I also felt that the way back, oh, yeah, I think it was a bit quicker. We had that nice Peterborough stop on the way back. I think there was quite a slog to get down there. But um, that, that was a, a real trek, that one. And at least for the, the next couple games, I mean, the next one coming up isn't that, that far at least. So uh, we'll get to keep the mileage down.
0: Definitely. I want to shout out to um, Waza, Joe, James and Lee, who um, who took me up to, not all, not all of them drive. It was Joe who drove, but um, I brought out my quiz, my normal quiz head. So they got the quiz for the borough trip um, and that was, yeah, a good journey. But um, yeah, missed you boys, missed you. Didn't even say, didn't even, didn't even see your faces, but it is what it is. Um, I want to quickly, um, elephant in the room. Uh, photographers are peasants, by the way, boys. No press food for me. I didn't even get a press room Warren, the other photographer, said there was a room, but it was basically a room with loads of stewards, basically. So, um, yeah, not happy. How was the food, by the way? Because I, I have to ask, as always.
2: Yeah, I thought it was quite good. We had our stop on the way up. So by the time that we got up to side, I don't think either Stuart or myself were that hungry, to be perfectly honest. But Stu went to get some food, and I thought oh, I've realised if I don't do this, A, I'm messing up the list that I want to do at the end of the season where we're going to rank all the press food and B, I'm going to have lots of very, 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 very angry messages on Twitter saying where was the press scram photo that I now have to do on a weekly basis and I sometimes get kind of yeah roasted for i have people that laugh at me because i'm just sat there with my food and my camera going Ugh! um it might look a little bit strange i think it's also one of those and i want to put this out verbally now i said it on twitter the presentation thing let's get this out of the way i feel like the presentation and the tastes don't always go hand in hand we've had this i don't want to mention the birmingham instant but there's been a few of them I know that a few people brought it up over the weekend. We had lasagna and potatoes, an interesting combination. And I thought it was good. I, I enjoyed it, and it's going to be quite high on the list come the end of the season, I think.
1: Thanks, thanks. Thanks for letting me know. Thank you. Sorry, sorry, Ross. I know that you weren't best pleased when we uh, when didn't I put even, that on. We it. didn't even want it, Ross. We didn't even want it. didn't need it. And there was you through yeah. the tradesman's entrance, quite yeah. right, like winding up our photographer friends when, yeah. uh, when they have to go. It's like Downton Abbey. They're sort of... Uh, down downstairs, well yeah. we're we're living the, we're we're living the high life. You wouldn't even have a, you wouldn't have a story if it wasn't
0: for a picture on it. Your main you know image you know God I know you'll just use a stock a stock picture from somewhere. Um, but yeah, Justin, big shout out to Justin who bumped into me at the services and he came over to me. and Went oh how was the um, media scrum? And I was like I looked at him straight away. I went mate I'm fuming mate I'm absolutely fuming because um, I didn't get anything. So I just got into my Burger King and ate that. Uh, I did have a nice. Um, full English on the way up. So, you know, at least I did eat a little bit, but yeah, Borough need to, um, yeah, need to sort out, mate. Need to sort out, Borough. Um, but thankfully town got the win. So I sort of moved on quickly, really. I know I've just brought it on the pod on Monday morning, but it is what it is. Uh, boys, <laughs> shall we segue? Yeah,
1: into- tiny violins. You can hear the sound <laughs> of those tiny violins. I'm sure that all the listeners, their hearts are broken for us listening in on this. I know, I know, I know. But um. have a win boys which is just it's crazy
0: it's absolutely crazy but town are doing great things i'm sure we hear from kieran mckenna on a complete performance let's see what he had to say about the town win at borough
3: yeah i thought a really complete performance really especially for an away game um i thought we controlled most most elements of the game really i liked our out of possession game both high and low i liked our, our in possession game set players were good um probably the only thing that I thought we could have been a little bit cleaner in our execution in the final third and created, you know, especially in the first half a higher calibre of chance with some of the positions that we got into but um, no, I, I liked you know, so much good work in all phases of the game and I thought our game management you know, aware to a really good team was, was very good as well
0: It was indeed um, McKenna versus Carrick Stew. it was a chess game wasn't it in that
1: first half Yeah, there was a lot of There was a lot of, oh, football friends moments between uh, Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick. I think they sort of greeted each other like long lost friends about four or five times at various stages throughout the afternoon. Um, Cut from the same cloth, football philosophy wise. You know, we heard a lot of that in the build up. Former colleagues at Manchester United and that was apparent from... From very early on in this game, that both teams wanted to play the same way in terms of building from the back, in terms of baiting the press, uh, all the stuff that we we've known and, and loved from Ipswich Town over over the last year or so, you can see Middlesbrough are trying to do the same things. It's what took them, you know, right up through the table last year in the Championship to to the playoffs. Um, Ultimately, Ipswich just did it that little bit better over over the course of the 90 minutes. Um, After a fairly cagey, sort of even start, I thought Ipswich got more and more on top. I thought they deserved the goal going into the break. Um, They got the killer second just to take the sting out of um, a slight response from Middlesbrough just when they were starting to maybe get the the home fans behind them, having having been booed off at the break, um, slightly harshly, Middlesbrough. Um, that second goal just took the sting out of that, and um, it was just a, a thoroughly, thoroughly professional away victory,
0: yeah. I think it was indeed very comfortable. Um, AJ thoughts on the first half, my friend, and Connor Chaplin with his goal. I think he's now he's got a lot of goals in 2023. We're getting onto the substitutions in a bit as well, but uh, he keeps on scoring, and um, yeah, got a bit of a deflection on it, but not a bad strike, yeah.
2: I think, well. We all can have different views on it in, in terms of how the game played out. I agree with Stu. If you look at Middlesbrough's match report, they called it a uh, smash and grab raid at the Riverside, where um, town had next to no chances scored from their two shots on target. And uh, that was kind of it. That was an interesting read on the way back. And I think there were some town fans that were a little bit confused by that one. Um, yeah, I think that the Connor Chaplin goal was really that it felt like it would be the kind of goal that they need to break through just because as we kind of touched on and as she mentioned a few times over the weekend, it had that chess match feel to it. It just felt like someone needed to blink first in a sense of it either being a mistake, which there were quite a few, but no one really seemed to be able to kind of punish it either. Um, Or it needed to be kind of a, a real moment of magic and, I wouldn't necessarily say that this was all kind of like this incredible wonder strike. It's a really good hit from uh, Connor Chaplin. It's kind of that deflected cross from Burns comes off Johnny House. And uh, and then I think he takes it so well. Connor Chaplin, it's a really nice hit. The way he lines his body up it does deflect off uh, Clark, wasn't it? Ex-town boy um, deflected off him and kind of wrong foot to Dieng who stands there and looks a bit confused as uh, it, it fizzes past him into the back of the net. So, yeah, it's one of those where I think that is what you need in those kind of really tight, cagey, maybe cagey's harsh because there was quite a lot going on, I'd say, without there really being the end product. But it felt like a moment like that really would be needed to, to break through.
1: It's quite watchable, wasn't it? I think Middlesbrough, mm-hmm. a couple of times, they played some nice little give and goes in the final third, but it just always, for both teams, it just sort of broke down when it got to the edge of the box. And I think that's because the opposition both knew what the other were trying to do. So it was ultimately someone always stepped in at the right moment to snuff out the danger. Wolfenden read things pretty well. Cameron Burgess was there to kind of slide in and make blocks when need be. Similar story at the other end. You heard in that Kieran McKenna clip that Ipswich worked some good positions but maybe weren't crisp and clean enough to kind of create the chance at the end of it. So it felt like one of those days where maybe a set piece could have been the difference, as Alex says, a moment of magic, a mistake. We were waiting for that. And in the end, Ipswich got um a couple of little rubs of the green along the way like like you said a deflection deflected cross comes back out a slight nick on on the shot from chaplin but but take nothing away from the strike he he caught that caught that sweet as you like so and not a volley for listeners of this podcast alex was a little bit confused about the amount of twitter chat going on around volley after that goal um to clear up the confusion, Alex turned to me and said something about, oh, that w- that was a, a that was a good volley finish or something along those lines. And I said, was it a volley, though? To which Alex took quite literally because he didn't know the volley backstory. So then he turned yeah. around and started asking people around them. Um, I think Andy Warren was to your left, wasn't he, who was mm-hmm. obviously in on the, the volley backstory, uh, to which he yeah. correctly replied, no, it's not a volley. Um, if it we bounces to, first... Yeah. It's not a volley. You... We had
2: the adjudication panel step in. I had not clocked necessarily that there was such a strong adjudication panel. I hadn't clocked that we had ex-members of the podcast who were still part of the adjudication <laughs> panel. Um, and yeah, by the time I would kind of put out saying, "Well, we've had the question asked," uh, yeah, I was immediately shut down. Um, I will
1: give you on the volley. On
2: the volley, we will I'll take give you on the volley. The just, but it's not he a volley. He sets his body quite well. Um, yeah, I feel like this is going to be something as well that I'll have to be quite kind of close with because I feel like if I now put it in my match report and it's wrong, it will be like one of the first things that people are going to latch <laughs> on to because every single listener of this podcast is probably like some uh, follower of this religion of volleys that has been created over the last few years. So I'm going to have to be careful.
1: It's not a half volley either and that's a, that's something that people will fall into as well. So there's a lot of people that take one bounce as being a half volley. It's not a half volley. A half volley is when the ball is virtually touching the t- the turf. It's just just literally just coming up off the turf, and you catch it at that moment on on the slight upwards. That's a half volley. That's important. It's important. It's very it important. important. It is important. It is important, Ross.
0: You got to phrase it right. You have got to phrase it right, ladies and gentlemen. You got to phrase it right.
1: Um... Although in heads and volleys, as a kid. That would have counted because outside the box, I think you were allowed one bounce was always the rule for us. Inside of the box was a header or a volley. Outside the box, you could take a bounce. And there endeth this discussion on volleys. Definitely. What a throwback. You used to love that. And Wembley. God, Wembley doubles
0: and all that. You used to love that. Um, quick little stats on Connor Chaplin. Um, Renegade stat man. Uh, big shout out to him as always. Um, he became the first town player since David Johnson... In 1998, to score 25 goals in the calendar year. Of course, Chaplin's still got a few more games to go. And um, he also scored the 200th goal, Stu, of the Kieran McKenna era, Connor kind of Chaplin. So 200 goals under Kieran McKenna.
1: It's just, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. And I think Alex pointed out in the car journey home, obviously, we'll, we'll get onto it in a minute, but he provides the assist for the second, which takes him on to what, eight goals and five assists. So, 13 goal contributions already this season in the championship. Um, Remarkable. Uh, For me, he was, he was, this was a real team performance. We played the rate. We always play the ratings game on the way home where Alex does his ratings, obviously at the game, they go live, but I've I've not normally had a chance to look at them by the time we get in the car. And uh, I I have a little guess at where Alex has gone. And, And I think I was only one out on this occasion I haven't quite got the full set just yet, but whenever, whenever not, whenever far away, and this was this was a performance of. There was no nines in there. There was no sort of standout sort of wow star performances, but this was just a really solid uh, team effort of um, lots of eights and, and sevens, and um, and that all sort of contributed, as I say, to that sort of complete performance, as McKenna refers to as that that sort of what what you need away from home to win at a place like Middlesbrough.
0: Yeah, and um shall we talk about this man? Vadslav smooth. I think I hope you heard that. Um uh, Mr. Smooth himself. Um yeah, I'll get the raw please. It's your Town, Andy Warren, whoever does the tweets. Um so I assume you got that from this podcast. Or you've just basically put it in Google Translate and found out Alanki is smooth. Um in you know Czech for English, whatever. Um but AJ thoughts on him because he was smooth. he was a smooth operator because uh, oh, at one stage in the game, I just thought, wow, that is just unbelievable. When, you know, ball when yeah, mm. you've seen the clip, you are seeing the clip.
2: Yeah, I think it was one of those that maybe we didn't appreciate as much in the moment. Uh, this maybe seems to be a thing that there are a few town players that have moments like that. Sam Morsey is one whose performances can go under the radar a little bit at times. And I feel that Vaz... When he's not making these incredible saves, he did have a couple, by the way. He's one that um, might have those kind of moments really, really good in possession. Um, important playing out from the back. His work with the ball at his feet's is exceptional. Um, Had that again today. Today? Blimey. I'm really thinking that was a long journey back. Had that over the weekend. Um, and as well as that, He wasn't really called upon too much in that game, but when he was, the two saves that he made were fantastic. He denies uh, Latte Lath from a free kick. Um, Not the tallest striker, Latte Lath, I I found when I saw him in person. So I don't think that Tam would be too happy with letting him get the the header away from a a free kick, but fantastic save to to keep the, the shot out. And then from there, I think there's another one where Wolfenden almost turns it into his own net. It literally is a split second thing so his reactions to get down low to that are exceptional um showing he's a, a an all-round goalkeeper we talk about his goals prevented we talk about um you know all these ratings that he has as pretty much the, the top goalkeeper in the division statistically but the work that he does with the ball at his feet that's almost as good if not as good in terms of how it suits this town team and well wow. Christian Walton's got a, a bit of a challenge on his hands we've discussed that so much in the last few weeks but at the moment
1: it just feels like Vaz is, is the perfect person to be in this uh, town setup it's turned out to be quite the happy accident really and 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 I mean this with the utmost res- respect to Christian Walton who it shouldn't be forgotten how big a player he he has been for Ipswich Town and, and could be again but right now clacky's the undisputed number one. There was a stage where we were kind of thinking when Christian's fit again, is there a a conversation there? Might it only take one or two moments from from Vaz to open that door again? I think he's got more than enough credit in the bag now that he could have a stinker and it still wouldn't be up for debate that he keeps his place in the next game. I think we all knew that he was going to be an upgrade with the ball at his feet. Um, to Christian, but would he be able to pull off the same saves that Walton does? Would he be? Would it be a problem with coming and collecting those aerial balls and and um, crosses into the box, set pieces, all that sort of stuff? Well, he's he's answered all those questions, and um, yeah, that that touch when you know I think it was the goalkeeper, right? You know, big kick out the hands up, up to up to the other end, and he's he's off his line under pressure. That could go horribly wrong, but he just cushions a pass out to the right-hand side, that's that's outrageous, really. Um, that takes some serious cojones. And, um, yeah, I thought he, in many ways, he was the difference in this game because both teams want to play out from the back and, and Senny Dieng couldn't do it as well for Middlesbrough. They, he had, by contrast, some really nervy moments that got the crowd a bit a bit jittery at times. So, um, yeah, we've, we've shouted him out many, many times this season already, but, but we have to sing his praises again.
0: I was not playing. Damn it. Didn't work. I was about to play this thing again. It's not playing. Why is it not playing? It's the, the Google Translate thing of Faglav Smooth, but it didn't work. I'm a bit annoyed about that. Bad thing. Um, but yeah, impressive performance once again for Vaz. Uh, shall we hear from Kieran McKenna once again on Amari Hutchinson's goal? Because, boys, let's let's talk about that, because that was a beautiful finish.
3: No, it was a big goal. Um am delighted for Amari. Uh, really good, even though it was similar. It was the exact, you know... Connection that we wanted to get. Hurstie's dropping down in the second half was really, really good. He was a real um, point for us to to drop into and and pull a defender right out of the back line and then we we knew that Omari's pace he could come on and run into them spaces and and the execution on the finish for you know for a young for a young player going through in that situation was um, really, really good. And I think if you, if you remember, I just said to to the press if you remember is. Chance in pre season against Red Bull Leipzig where he runs through 1 0, exact same position, and he, he takes extra touches and, and doesn't get the shot off. And, and to go through in that manner, and especially to take it at the, the near post, takes an upper level of bravery. So, um, yeah, nice, nice combination and a really nice finish.
0: Well wow. Boys, um shall we quickly talk about um how the sort of the second half was panning out um before Amari's goal, because of course Amari came on from Nathan Broadhead. Um Stu, where were you at when it was 1-0 and it was still a bit cagey, but town was sort of grinding into the game? Um
1: relatively comfortable. I think Alex said to me at one stage, I can't remember what it was, it felt like the most comfortable, uncomfortable moment that we've had this season, which I thought summed it up beautifully, actually. It was there was never a, a moment where they were under the cosh. It never felt like, oh, they've really got to ride a storm here, which has happened in a few of the other away games. Middlesbrough, I thought Ipswich started the second half better. Burns had a cross that sort of flashed through the box, and they kind of, um, you know, set the set the tone quite well at the start of the second half. And then Borough had a little spell where the crowd sort of woke up a little bit, as I referenced to earlier, and. Uh, old cliche at 1-0 was always dangerous and something could happen but i f- felt pretty comfortable they were keeping the ball well they were defending well they had some good outlets um but the second goal you know the deep the deeper that had gone at 1-0 then the dynamic might have changed so to score when they did what was it 67 minutes um that that kind of was the the killer blow really, and as as Kieran says there, it was quite simple in in the build up, um, but really really coolly taken, wasn't it?
0: It was. And AJ, I know you're a big fan of Amari. When he signed, that was uh, you're talking about him every week. It felt like, and um, <laughs> he's come off the bench here and he scored another great goal, another big goal away from home. Of course, he was the man who scored the the winner at Southampton, um, but he was cool as you like. Um, I think McKenna and I think even Amari mentioned it. They heard a whistle and they felt he was offside. <laughs> that's, why, that's why he looked up and then, he of course, he composed and then great finish. But how good is he going to be?
2: Yeah, I think his development's really interesting. And it's something that McKenna referenced in terms of pre-season. You can never judge too much in pre-season, but you never really see a kind of huge contrast, I'd say necessarily, in terms of a player's performance level at that stage and six months on I wouldn't say it's a a, a massive change for for most players when you see Amari Hutchinson I think when we first saw him in the Cambridge game there was kind of a lot of excitement and a lot of raw potential there where he clearly had this incredibly high level of skill and threat on the ball but some of the other aspects were lacking and I think the big thing that I kind of noticed is his decision making was a, a bit of a problem. We saw that as McKenna referenced with the Leipzig game in Innsbruck, where he went through one-on-one easy chance to put Town 2 up and uh, he kind of faffs around with it. And he'd done that a few times. This was just perfect. This is exactly what he needed to do. It's exactly what we wanted him to do in that moment in the Innsbruck Cup. Um, and it, it shows how he's been developed as a player and he deserves credit for that. And so does McKenna and, and the coaching staff at Town in terms of being able to change that and, and develop him because that's not an easy thing to do for such a young player in such a short space of time and the move's so nice the way that as he says um hearst drops deep it opens the space up uh, i think it's burrow's left back Engel who ends up just standing in the middle of nowhere plays everyone on side uh Burrow furious but he is so comfortably on side i love the assist from Connor Chaplin because he basically just comes in whacks it he, he just comes in runs proper smacks it off pretty much takes it off the feet of Hurst from the, the first replay that we saw of it anyway and that's really nice uh moment from him, just to spot the space there cool finish, near post um just to wrap it all up and, and that's what made it just such a, a comfortable finale, a professional kind of finish and, and performance that Town haven't always had, but they really had in this one
0: And we, we actually haven't mentioned the celebrations, Stu, that's something you would be able to do wouldn't it? One of those
1: backflips, yeah? <laughs> Absolutely not, um yeah, that always, that always takes a goal up a notch, doesn't it? A, a celebration like that, backflip, somersaulting off in front of the away fans over that side as well, which is that side of the box that he scored, which just elevates a goal that's just put you 2-0 up, giving you that bit of breathing room. Come come at the end where your fans are that have travelled hundreds of miles. Um We've had so many incredible away day scenes this year. Uh, it would be impossible to to rank them when you go back to the the promotion charge in League One, Barnsley, Bolton, Derby. Then already this season, that is six away wins on the road in the Championship. Late winner at QPR, the opening day at Sunderland. Um, in- absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was another magic moment and. Um, yeah, from from that point on, the, the game man I think that that was the kind of the, the body blow that knocked the stuffing out of of Middlesbrough and uh, the game management from Ipswich from there was was really smart. They kept the ball. I say really smart. Right, we're going to get up to a moment, sort of seconds from from the end, uh, to to wrap this up in a minute. But yeah, that when Kieran McKenna talks about a complete performance, he's talking about putting all the elements together, which you need to to come away from Middlesbrough with a 2-0 win. And, and the game management and the, and the way they saw that game out was just uh, another part of it.
2: I yeah. felt like this was kind of almost, sorry, Ross, it almost felt a little bit like a, a reverse West Brom situation where they kind of did a West Brom to Borough. I, yeah. I didn't maybe think it was totally, I thought West Brom were really dominant in that game. And there were kind of the nervy moments that Town were able to to have... Um, against Borough, mainly because they didn't, I'd say, score in the same kind of moments that West Brom did against Town. It really felt like they delivered the killer blows and then maybe Town didn't have it in the same kind of moments, which made the the game a little bit different. But in terms of the way that they navigated the challenges, for example, there's the the kind of corners and set pieces that Borough had in the early stages of the uh, second half. It, It amounted to nothing. You're thinking, we've seen these games before, where they start getting those corners in, get a succession of them, town become maybe a little bit more nervous, things start to open up, um, and, and you could maybe have, in another time, seen Borough take the ascendancy there. Town didn't let it happen at all. They just snuffed it out immediately, and that's why, I mean, I think I referenced it as the most comfortable away performance of the season, which feels baffling, considering that I think all of us would have taken a point going into it, Um but it, it just felt like they were never really under that much threat and um that that shows how much they've come along even since the start of the season i think
1: Cont- controlled is the word that Kieran McKenna used a lot he, he actually a couple of times in his post match press conference talked about sort of comfortable and then he quickly sort of backtracked and and i think he obviously Michael Carrick is good friend i think he was very keen to kind of be respectful in the way that he talked about it that you know they're a really good team and um but he kept he kept sort of changing comfortable to controlled i think he felt that that was a more respectful way to talk about his his team's performance and and he's right and yeah just looking back through the away wins that Ipswich have had Sunderland that was real backs to wall towards the end of the game QPR you know left it relatively late to to get the winner um Sheffield Wednesday I can't quite remember how that one panned out. Kind of and scored on school It was one five. of
2: those where I think it was kind of a really one-sided one and Town ended up getting the one goal to kind of make it safe. Maybe a few nervy moments Should've at the end, more. so that would be up there. Yeah, that would definitely yeah. be one of them.
1: Southampton, they obviously sort of, that, that didn't come easy. That was really, really hard fought. Huddersfield, late equaliser. Bristol City under the cosh a little bit towards the end. Obviously, then the the comeback points against Birmingham and, and Rotherham and, and the defeat at West Brom. So, yeah, this this has to go down as, as Ipswich's um, probably best all-round away performance of the season, no doubt. Yeah, and
0: of course, a clean sheet, the first clean sheet on the road since uh, the Bristol City game back in October. Full, so that's... full
1: stop, isn't it? The first clean mm-hmm. sheet since then. Ooh,
0: that's. A... I think Vaz will be very happy about that. Yeah, I think it is the first clean sheet since then. So. Yeah,
1: tactically there was a few things that were interesting from this game and Kieran touched upon it there about George Hurst dropping a bit deeper that was a feature of the second goal but it was a feature of the the whole game really we're used to seeing George Hurst playing off the last shoulder running in behind but I thought he showed his all-round qualities in this game that's obviously something that they worked on they obviously felt that Middlesbrough had I think three of their back four were were in forced changes I mean they had nine players unavailable for this game Ipswich to be fair had two two players suspended themselves so you know that's just how it is at this time of year but there was an opportunity for Ipswich going to Middlesbrough at this stage of the season with the players they had unavailable I, I looked through their team not a single one of their start not a single one of the starters from their playoff semi-finals started this game so that shows you how much has has changed at them but you know, nevertheless, they've got some, some good players in that team still. Dan Barlazer and Matt Crooks, Ipswich fans, will remember sort of us being part of that Rotherham team that taught Ipswich uh, a few lessons in, in League One. Johnny House, an experienced player, ex-Norwich, of course. Morgan Rogers, someone that Ipswich have, have looked at a few times in in recent years. So just going back to the tactical point, George. they obviously came up with a bit of a game plan. George Hurst playing a bit deeper. I thought he was strong. He, he dragged... He, Drag people into the areas that they didn't want to be he held people off um he reminds me of that um quote about peter crouch i think it's from um it's from the comedian the um uh, frank skinner talks about peter crouch it must be like defending it must be like th- someone throwing a bicycle at you when you're trying to mark peter crouch with all the sharp pointy elbows and limbs sort of coming at you and George Hurst has got that sort of ability when people um people are sort of coming at him he can hold you off he can that was a really nice sort of little Cruyff term spin that led to the second goal so that was one element him deploying him a little bit differently and, the, and Wes Burns I thought was used a little bit differently in this game as well it was almost back to the early days of Kieran McKenna in League One when we referred to it more as a sort of a wing-back system and Wes Burns was a wing-back for a long time and and um Yes, when Ipswich had the ball, he still took that high line. But in this one, they were quite happy for little spells to for him to drop right back in into a back five and, and play that low block just through little periods when they needed to. So, uh, yeah, it was a fascinating tactical battle, this one as well.
0: Yeah, we always knew that, though, didn't we, with McKenna and Carrick. You know, they they know their weaknesses, they know their strengths. So it was always going to be interesting. Um, AJ, this is now, this win as well, is the third straight win against teams who got into the playoff last year. Of course, Sunderland, Coventry, And now Borough, that's another impressive stat uh, for a newly promoted team. Um, As we already know, 15 championship wins is bonkers anyway. But to beat three of the teams you got into last year is pretty good.
2: I think I saw something on Twitter which was along the lines of if you put Town and their points total into the championship last season, they would be something like 13 points clear of third. Something absolutely ridiculous. It might have even been second. It was a huge gap. Um, It shows A, well, two things, A, how a good um, town have been so far this season and also how the Championship has changed. And it, it does feel like oh, it's just early doors to say it, but in terms of who finishes third and fourth, I think we could be seeing some of the highest points totals of whoever gets those kind of uh, mm. positions. Um,
1: whoever Deja vu be. from League One last season, isn't it? Yeah, you know, with the, the four teams mm. um, finishing on such high points totals. Yeah,
2: I think it's going to be a, a similar kind of thing. And the fact that you look at the four at the moment as it being town, newly promoted from League One, and the three relegated sides who have millions to spend, but also players that have already cost millions. Look at Leicester squad, look at Leeds squad, Leeds star man's a £35 million signing from the Bundesliga. Um, and you look at town spending, probably like the average amount they spent on that squad so far. It's going to be an absolute fraction of that. So to come out 20 games, 15 wins, three draws, two defeats, second best record in the history of division at this stage, behind Leicester, funnily enough, which again shows how the division has panned out. That's absolutely fantastic. And yeah, with this run coming up as well, it's it's nice that they've had all this behind them. I, I think that you can't take for granted what they've done so far when you look at what's going to be coming up um, I think that it's just going to be a case of doing what they can, but also focusing on what they've already done.
0: Yeah, smashing all the records, Stu. And I've uh, another little stat to bring you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, 22 goals have been scored by Town subs in 2023 so far. Of course, Murray Hutchinson's goal at Borough was the 22nd goal this kind of year, Stu, which is just it shows it proves how important our subs can be.
1: Yeah, I I tweeted over the weekend that it was 21, and then I had uh, a little count-up again in the car on the way home and found another one that's 22 across all competitions this calendar year, uh, which, by my reckoning, accounts for just shy of 20% of Ipswich's goals. So one in five have come from someone who's stepped off the bench, which, um, you know, I think speaks volumes about not only... Kieran McKenna's ability to see how games are unfolding and how to affect them. For example, you know, he talked about that he felt that there were some, some gaps in behind George Hurst dropping deeper, and people could run off of that. And that was maybe not so much a Nathan Broadheady type game at the, the weekend, the way it was panning out. So he sees opportunities like that in-game and reacts quite quickly. But it's also it also speaks a lot about how he's got everyone in this squad to really buy into the kind of we before me attitude and, and always being ready and knowing that, you know, that is not a punishment to be on the bench and that you you have got a big role to play to come on as, as a finisher of games, um, you know, in this era now with, with five substitutes and, and nine on the bench, which are really, really taking advantage of that. So, yeah, I thought that was a, an interesting stat. 22 goals, 11 of them this this season from substitutes.
0: Oh, just records just keep getting broken and just loads of these great stats. So just every time I go on Twitter um, or any social media, just issues town stat there, that, there, there, just everyone's just loving it at the moment, which of course is is such enjoyable, isn't it? Um, Shall we boys then go to the elephant in the room and go into the stoppage time? And let's hear from Kieran McKenna on the incident. And uh, we'll talk about it, ladies and gentlemen. I
3: Thought it was a nonsense yellow. Really, didn't think it was a foul. Um, I thought there was quite a few instances in the last 15 minutes that you know were given in the context of the game and the crowd and the scoreline, not what actually happened. So it was a frustrating yellow. I spoke about that yesterday with Sammy. Um, I thought it was you know another one I'd put in the category of a frustrating yellow that I'm not sure, I'm not sure it needed to be given really.
0: So, yeah, I didn't mention, yeah, Sam Morsey's yellow in the 95th minute, whatever it was. Um, and, of course, that's his ninth yellow card of the season. He's won away for that two-match ban, and that was the big talking point after the game. Obviously, we won the game, but then we go, oh, no, Morsy. Um, AJ, Stu, where do you want to start? We'll get on the big dilemma on the Watford game shortly, but quickly mention this incident because it was just one of those where he just kicked the ball away and he got bit. Well...
1: I've watched it back this morning because I, I didn't see it live at the time. We're we're deep into stoppage time. You know, we're writing, we're finishing off live blogs and match reports and player ratings and and all that side of stuff. And the and the game's done at that point, so you, your head's down. And then someone sort of just along the rows said, it's just Book Morsi. What for? I'm kicking the ball away, I think." And you think, like, "Oh, really, Sam? That's not like you." Um, and I I was quite strong on Brandon Williams getting a pretty daft yellow card against. Coventry for sort of diving in um, on the touchline when there was no real danger on and the game was won late on there. I don't think I can... I can't put this on Sam Morsey. I, I think he... I don't think he... It was a split second after the whistle had blown for the softest of free kick awards. Um, I think it's Bangara Their Their left back had just sort of drifted inside um, into the middle of the pitch. and he, And he goes between sort of Jackson and somebody else. I think maybe Harness and gets marginally sandwiched and goes down very softly. And Sam Morsi's just there to, I don't think he's kicking the ball away. I think he's just looking to play a pass almost. And as the referee sort of blows the whistle. So to give him a yellow card for that was, as Kieran McKenna says, absolute nonsense. So um, I'm I'm not going to go too, too strong on Sam Morsi for being a silly boy here. I thought that was the referee. Um, being really unnecessary um, given the circumstances of the game.
0: Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, the last kick of the game pretty much and you just book It's just, yeah, the referee just fancied the booking, did he? Just like, oh, I haven't used this for a little bit. Oh, there you go. Boom. Um, but AJ, that now brings up the big dilemma for Sam Morsey. Do you play him at Watford with the big game against Norwich? But then, there's loads of other talking points because he could still get booked against Norwich and he could be suspended for Leeds and Leicester. So um, should we segue on to that big question? Um, are you playing Sam Moore's against Watford? Do you rest him? Uh, what, 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 he's a captain. It's, it's a tricky one. It's
2: a real dilemma. I can't lie because of the way that the fixtures fall as you touched upon with the fact it is going to be going from Norwich straight into Leeds, straight into Leicester. And for the player that I know at least going into this weekend committed the most fouls in the championship. Um, It's a big ask. And I know that he's done it before in terms of going along and and managing to avoid these bookings for a long stretch. She'll be able to remind me what that was. I think it was something along the lines of 10 games that he uh, managed to dodge it. Yeah. You know, it's something that they could look at doing and they could ask him to do. Does it then take away from his natural game in the championship? I lean more towards yes because the championships are totally different league um and then you look at the opponents that he's got there in terms of Norwich I think most people would expect him to pick up a booking against Norwich most of the time anyway Uh, and there'll probably be a few yellows flying around there as it is and then um Leeds and Leicester too good to see eyes in the transition where he's going to need to be on it and you look at for example Longo's tactical foul against Coventry that got him a ban You need to have those moments sometimes Um, and for me, of the three games, the one that you probably don't want him to miss is the Norwich one because of the aggression and intensity that he brings and I think with that reason I would probably look at resting him Um, for Watford tomorrow. I think that it would be the route that I'd go down, I'm not necessarily sure it'd be the route that McKenna will. with that, I don't think it's the worst idea to give him a rest as well. I, I know that he's someone that can easily play 46 games, that he's not going to struggle with that, but there's no harm in it. You look at he was out with the team against Huddersfield, and Huddersfield are quite a um, I don't want to kind of play them down here, but when you're going to a rainy Shit Saturday afternoon, <laughs> yeah, against um, Huddersfield, it's always going to be that kind of game where you want to have your your captain in there to kind of get everyone together and get stuck in I don't necessarily know if Watford's going to be that kind of game I mean we'll touch on what a Valerian Ishmael side is after this I'm sure but I wouldn't necessarily say that is one where he'd be missed as much I think it'd be a good opportunity to maybe test the water with Taylor and Luongo as a pairing for example Um, and the game after He missed the Huddersfield game. He came back in and played uh, against Hull, which I'd say is probably up there with Town's best performances this season, the 3-0 win. You give him a bit of a breather going into this, a chance to reset and the chance as well, knowing that if you you rest him that he then will be available for that Norwich game. I just think it it would benefit all parties all round. Um, That's the way I'd go about it.
0: Okay. AJ's done his working out. Stu, what are you doing with this?
1: It's not a complete no-brainer. I think there's there's definitely lots of elements to consider. And, yeah, I hadn't really thought about sort of what a rest could do for Sam Morsi in terms of reinvigorating him. Yes, he's robust. Yes, he's someone that can and will want to play all the time. I think he's someone that you'd have to take that decision away from him. He'll tell you, I want to play at all times. He's played in a lot of the cup games last year when when people were getting rested, which I think says a lot about sort of his, his mindset. Um, but ultimately it's the two games that come after Norwich that you that have to so you have to take into consideration. Yes, there's a lot of emotion around the Norwich game. But speaking bluntly, leads away and Leicester at home. Which come in in very quick succession either side of Christmas are tougher games and probably more important games in the context of where which are at in in the table at the moment. So you know, do you risk you rest him against Watford? You play him against Norwich, as Alex says. There's there's a pretty high percentage chance given what that game is, and I, I didn't realise he'd given he'd had the most fouls in the championship. So it's a likelihood he probably gets booked in that one, and then you miss him for those for those two games so that would be a big part of my thinking the next is also what message it gives to everyone externally and internally about this game tomorrow night at watford is oh, we can we can probably get away with, with with resting our captain um i don't think you can i think watford is a is a really tough game i think if you were picking sort of matches that were not necessarily high on your list of ones that you'd pick after a long trip back from Middlesbrough on a Saturday, it probably would be Watford away because, you know, they are a high-press, intense side, I assume, under their manager, given what he's done at previous clubs. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, I'm not sure it sends the right message to everyone that oh, we can we can sort of get away without Sam Morsi for this one but um, the good news is that that there is other options, you know, it will happen for me you play him on Tuesday night it will happen when it happens to go back to what Alex said, he he got through nine games in League 1, it's game 37 before that 10 game uh, booking thing is is kind of that slate is wiped clean he's not going to get to game 37 in in the Championship this time around because it's just a higher higher calibre of player that he's up against but I, I think I'd just I'd just go with it and see, you know, what will be, will be.
2: To look at the the foul stats, I've got the updated ones here. So Sam Morsey 37. Uh, next behind him, Jordan Hugel at uh, Rotherham, 34. And then Bierlich 32. Um, most yellow cards quite comfortably if you look at the players behind there. Ryan Porteous has eight, so he's kind of on it. Ben Pearson's another on nine. Um, but when you look at the fouls he's committing, that is... Probably a consideration also the fact that you look at the the game over the weekend he was booked for nothing and that's always the risk as well is that you can have that moment where it it can be something nonsensical it can be something really stupid and everything can then change when um it's not something that morsey has done that would would necessarily be considered a foul and that's always the risk with with this and i think that the biggest question overall is well a you don't want to kind of take away from this natural game that's kind of a, a conclusion that's already been made and something that has spoken about before but also how you balance it out in terms of the risk of missing the games do you risk him going and getting suspended for the next two don't forget if he misses the next two if he gets if he plays against Watford, gets suspended, that will then still take him out of the Leeds game because it's a two-match ban. Mm -hmm. So it's about trying to find that balance. I'm not necessarily saying, and no one's necessarily saying, that he is going to 100% get a yellow card and he's going to miss one or more of these next three. But it's about thinking, if he is going to get it, where is it going to be most damaging to take him out of, I think.
0: Yeah, speak to all, But I've just um, brought up the referee who is going to be um, in charge of the game against Watford, and it's David Coote, um, who's from Nottinghamshire. Um, he's um, only took charge of seven games so far this this season, um, and he's shown twenty nine yellow cards. Um, he's played. He's actually refed a few Premier League games. Um, his last game was the Stoke Sheffield Wednesday game, where he showed seven yellow cards. So, yeah, uh, yeah. has That's he?
2: Reft a town game so far this season.
0: No, as I said, he's he's, okay. he's reft one, two, three, five Premier League games and uh, reft two championship games. So, yeah, he's shown just one record. Was he one it- of those that was involved in the VAR
2: drama? I might just be totally. I have a feeling looking at it, I've just t- David Coote was what he said, yeah. Um yeah it looks like there's um a lot of there's a lot of var articles that come up in this one so um, (laughs) um, liverpool everton infamous merseyside derby that left reds fuming um look championship premier league two different things i don't know if that's kind of led to him being um Sent down to the championship or what the thing is there. Uh,
0: Look, the so. um October was the last game he took charge of in the Premier League, and he's yeah, that was his first game back on the weekend. So maybe he's had a bit of a breather and he's been dropped down to the championship. So uh so yeah, interesting.
1: Always mm. interesting to see the referee and stuff do. Stu. What will also be interesting is I think we we'll, at some point in the near future we are going to see a different midfield pairing for Ipswich town and you would imagine that midfield pairing would be all things being well Massimo Wongo and Jack Taylor at some stage Massimo Wongo is going to have to adapt his game slightly i think he'll have to play the Sam Morsy role we know he's got those sort of tenacious qualities but i think positionally he'll have to be a little bit more disciplined and and sit a little bit more and Jack Taylor will, will be the one on that sort of left-hand side of the two with a bit more license to get forward You'll lose a lot of qualities with Sam Morsi. Uh, the first thing that everyone goes to is his his tackling and his ability to get stuck in. But I think the bigger thing for me is actually his leadership and his calmness. And in the derby, it won't just be, you know, everyone goes, oh, he will get stuck in, there'll be a two-footed tackle, et cetera, et cetera. What he, what he does is he I think he'll calm people down around him as well people overlook that quality about him so that that would be the biggest miss i think it would be his sort of his captaincy and his his leadership but you you probably gain something a little bit as well in in jack taylor is someone that can i thought his passing was i thought he was really good um at middlesbrough his passing one one first time pass from deep that set someone away was was really good and obviously his goal threat as well he's you know um Luongo and Morsi don't necessarily have tons of goals between them. I think Jack Taylor gives you a, a different bit of uh, attacking threat. Um, you know that ability to score from from outside the box that we've seen inside it as well at Rotherham. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But um, for me, I think you just have to roll with it and see what happens. But there, there's certainly a valid debate there, and I could see why people would, would go the other way. Yeah, let us know, ladies and gentlemen. Let us know,
0: Kings of Anger on all the socials. I'm going, just playing. He's, he's the captain. And, you know, as you always know, I always stick with Stu. But i I'm also put my hat on and I've gone, Samuels. He's a, he's our captain. He's clever. And uh, he should be all right, um, as I say, on this uh, Monday morning, hopefully, uh, by the end of the Watford game. He hasn't been booked, but we shall see. Um, that's a nice way to segue onto Watford. Um 10th in the championship, they scored a late, late goal. That's against Southampton on Saturday. Uh, they haven't sacked their manager, which is normally at this stage in December. They've already had two or three <laughs> managers. But um, AJ. Ten, yeah.
1: ten managerial changes and Watford not among them.
0: Yeah, madness. And we we'll get on to that shortly. Um, but yeah, Valerian Ismail, um, AJ, is uh, got appointed this season um and they're doing okay walkthrough they've had a mixed bag of results here and there but template table they've got you know some players i can't pronounce um but yeah they've got a, a very decent team on paper yeah i hope
2: that those on video and you guys watching had uh, fun watching me try and block the sunlight out here in the background like subtly moving the screen behind so that i'm not getting blinded um really hoped that it would have been okay before this one because it was nice and gray but that has not happened and now it's just a bit of a mess um Watford probably for once not a bit of a mess which um that was such a smooth segue um it's been a while because since they've come down and even kind of towards the latter stages of the last premier league campaign they've just been one of those, I don't want to be mean and say basket case clubs, but in terms of the hiring and firing, in terms of the whole Rob Edwards thing, where they sacked him after something like a month, nine games, something like that. And um, he's gone on to take their local rivals, arch rivals up to the Premier League for the first time. That's got to really sting. Um, Just feels that after maybe a little bit of a rocky start, things have fallen into place. You look at it last... Defeat, and we're going to take the, the Leicester game out because most teams are losing to Leicester at the moment. So they've only had one defeat since October 7th, um, which is pretty impressive. There's a, quite a few draws in there. Um, you look at 2 2 at home to Millwall, 0 0 on the road at Huddersfield, maybe not overly kind of standout performances, but then they've had really strong moments. They stuck five past Rotherham, they've come from 2 0 behind at home to beat uh, Norwich 3 2. Come to this one off the back of a really impressive 2-1 win at Hull and the 1-1 draw against Southampton, where they struck in the 96th minute as well. Um, they feel really solid, basically. Um, they're not a team that go and concede loads, um, definitely no more than two in any of their games since Middlesbrough on September 30th. So it shows that Valerian Ismail's got them organised, has got a good defensive side um maybe i can see a few similarities to west brom which potentially isn't the biggest surprise valerian ismail is an ex Brom manager just in terms of their pressing their intensity um add the attacking side in a little bit because it has been hit and miss but if you add that in then they're going to be a side that will definitely challenge for the top six um and a similar test to one that town have faced quite a few times so far this season uh given the context of where it falls in the week and and in the season, though, it feels a tricky one.
0: Yeah, and Stu, we haven't played Watford since twenty fifteen, when it was the Richard Chaplow late winner.
1: Is that the uh, last time we've been yeah, to Vicarage Road? It was wow. yeah, just
0: yeah. And um, I've just looked at their stats; they score a lot at home, so this could be a high scoring game. How are you feeling
1: for this one, Stu? Um, a little bit nervous. A little bit nervous. Um, yeah, it's uh, back-to-back away games. Saturday, Tuesday is, is, is never easy. Uh, we saw the challenge of that um, back in early November with with Birmingham, followed by Rotherham. A lot of mileage at the weekend. All of that sort of stuff goes into it. Less time to prepare. I don't think that sort of high-press, intense style necessarily suits Ipswich. We talked about you know, teams that really get in your face and and get on top of you is is arguably the one tiny little chink in the Ipswich armour. The little bit of kryptonite Birmingham like got right in in their grills early on there, and and that disrupted them. So, um, yeah, and and with the Norwich game on the horizon as well, I'm I'm sure internally they've done very well of not even mentioning that and. Just subconsciously, that will be in the back of people's minds. The whole debate around Sam Morsi just brings that that weekend game sort of, uh, you know, noise into into the back of your minds that little bit more as well. So, yeah, Watford have got sort of a good mix of players. Sort of, I don't know too much about some of the ones that they've brought in from foreign clubs over the summer, but they've re- recruited from abroad as Watford do, but they've also got... Established names like Tom Ince and Jake Livermore, who've, who've been around the block as well. Um, Jamal Lewis, obviously, people know from his, his Norwich days, on, on loan from Newcastle, the left back, who got has been quite fiery. I remember him sort of being up against Flynn Downs in the East Anglian derby, going further back. So, um a tough game this uh in in the middle of you know ahead of some some big games ahead we shouldn't just sort of go oh yeah just get Watford out of the way and skip over this one it's um this is a tricky game and it's, it's the, again as the old cliche goes it's worth the same number of points as as all the rest of them
0: yeah indeed I think they've got one defeat in the last 10 five wins out of those 10 games so uh not too shabby. They've spent a bit of money though. I think uh, Kone, one of their player midfield. I think he's eight million. I think they spent mm. on him. So I think they've also. there's one of their strikers. He's signed. He's a Danish striker signed from a Swedish club,
1: and he's I think he's their top goal scorer. So, uh, right, I so say big. his name? Yeah, that's the one. That is the one. Thanks, dude. Um, well, they so, got yeah. they got a fair bit of money, didn't they, for a chunk of money for Xal Pedro back in the yeah. summer? And you know, you looked at them and thinking he was a standout championship star last season and has, has gone on to to do pretty well for, for Brighton this year. But um yeah, it looks like they've they've spent that money pretty pretty well looking from from the outside in. And um, you know, they'll be one of the clubs that are thinking that they can get themselves in that top six mix. I think that they're one of them that's had the kind of rebuild that we
2: spoke about. We spoke about this going into the borough one where they've lost key players. It's Maila another one that went out um mm. playing Europa League football with Marseille. See, they, yeah, he went to Marseille and they've got, um, yeah, João Pedro he went up to Brighton. So both, funnily enough, I think in the same Europa League group. Um, but that kind of shows the, the level of players that they've lost from a team that really struggled. And I think that it feels maybe in a way that they've taken the right step forward in moving them out. It feels like there's progression. It feels like the manager's got the players in that he wants. Um, I've seen some suggesting that there may be kind of two or three short in the January transfer window, if done well, can really give them the springboard to move on. But I like what they've done. Reese Healy, someone who's done it in the lower leagues, hasn't really worked out for him so far, but he has the potential to do it. Mateus Martins, um, a Brazilian winger on loan, I think from Udinese. Yeah, so
1: he's... Has to be it, Udinese so. if it's and what They was, have yeah. to, yeah.
2: The link there. Um, others who, again, just seem to have that kind of continental flair about them that doesn't always work in the championship. They've got a Georgi Csakvedac, I'm going to go out on the limb and try and pronounce that. Uh, Thanks, Ross. Um, Kind of quite an agile left winger. Again, I think it's maybe players who, in a similar way to Borough, are starting to adjust to life in the championship. Rajevic, I'd say, the star man within that who has made that quick adapting process and if the others follow suit I think that they're going to be a really strong outfit and this might be the period as we've seen in the last kind of 10 games where they've all started to find their feet a little bit more
0: yeah well boys um shall we do predictions AJ predicted a win at Borough we all went for a draw Stew and Heafy and yeah and uh, Alex only got the point uh I think Heafy predicted Connor Chapman to score first so he got a point so um he is now on 18 points um Alex you're now on 30 um where are we going to go with this then boys what do you reckon then to do um as i said i think they've yeah 22 goals they scored at Rickeridge road watford and um, they score more at home than away um so this could be a high scoring game or it could be a goalless draw we don't know <laughs> it's
1: classic ross could be could be a win could be a draw could be a high win <laughs> uh cover all bases um i would snap your hand off for a point is is what i would say um I'm, this is a tactical prediction because I've got some ground to make up, and I don't think anyone else will go for a defeat here. So, with a heavy heart, I might put them down for a narrow, a narrow defeat on the road.
3: Ooh.
0: Ooh. yeah, I shouldn't have gone. I shouldn't have gone you first. I should have gone AJ first, as he's top of the table. But I just saw you first. On I think this. what
1: I really want to say is a draw, but but purely purely because I'm getting cut adrift at the bottom of our, our predictions table, I'll I'll go for I'll go for a narrow defeat, and I'll say. Always fancy Ipswich to get a goal, haven't you? So two one. Two one. Who's going to score for Town then? Uh, come back
0: to me on that. Okay, come back to still on that. So he's going for a defeat, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. That is just oh. AJ, what do you reckon then, my friend? Top of the table. Are you going for a win, draw, or a defeat? Who would like to do? Are you going to copy Stu? <laughs> I'm
2: not going to copy, Stu. Oh, we don't do copying in these predictions league, do we, Ross? Um <clears throat> no. I'm again it's one that I come into with a little bit of apprehension, but I had that with Sunderland. I had it. Over the weekend, there's been a few others, and the only game that's proven me wrong so far has been West Brom, to be perfectly honest. Um, and for that reason, I'm gonna go for a win. And I think that yeah, Leicester managed to complete a shutout against Watford, and that was at home, and it was it was a little bit tight because I know that um Watford ran them a little bit closer than that score line suggests, but I'm going to be bold and I know that town can grind out wins on the road and I'm going to go for a 1-0 win Um, first goal scorer Stu's held off on his and I think it's so he can figure out who he's like who he thinks is likely to start the one name that I just know is going to start pretty much guaranteed is going to be George Hurst and I'm going to go George Hurst first goal scorer
0: Okay then. I'm pleased you haven't gone to the prediction I had in my mind, because I was thinking you'd think oh he's copying I went, no, I He's
2: gonna on. draw. He's gonna draw.
0: I've gone I've gone for a win, mate. I've gone for a win. Oh okay. I think they're gonna they're gonna a two-one win. That's what I'm gone for. Sue's gone for a two-one defeat, but I've gone for a two-one town win.
1: Right, you've both gone for wins. Yes. I was going tactical, so I thought some people might go for draws. So can I change mine now to a one-one? Ooh. Ooh. Or is, it, is, it, loud is loud. it locked in? Adjudication
2: Ooh. panel incoming, Ross. This is your
0: now, cool. he didn't he didn't actually lock it in with the goal scorer, so I'm allowing it. I'm allowing, You're allowing it. Okay.
1: Yeah. It felt felt a little negative, really. So I'll go for 1-1. One, one. Okay. And I'll say, I'm going to say Conor Chaplin.
0: Chaplin again. Ooh. Uh, he will let us know his. Um, so, yeah, I've gone for a 2-1 town. Went first goal scorer. Let's give it to, should we give it to a defender, maybe? Are we going to score a set piece against Watford? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? Let's give let's give it to Luke Wolfenden. Um he recently announced he's gonna be a dad again. So uh why not score, Wolfie? There we go. So uh a draw, two wins, and we'll find out He fees one shortly. Um well boys, um a trip down to Rickards Road on Tuesday night ahead of the, the big week ahead. Um shall we quickly mention the championship? We've seen another manager sacked AJ. Um as we mentioned It's not Watford. Watford have not seen a sacking, but um, it's actually a former Norwich boss in Alex Neal who's been sacked at Stoke City, the 10th this season in the Championship so far. Yeah.
2: You see, this season I've taken on the role as um, international break correspondent, and I also feel like I've ended up doing the managerial sacking correspondent roles. I think I've done all of them, pretty much. Um, Number 10, this one had been coming for a while because Stoke have been were really, really poor as a team that went really heavy with their recruitment over the summer, quite a few foreign players coming in. I thought they were fairly uninspiring at Portman Road at the start of the season but you just felt that, again and this could count for about half of the Championship at this point, foreign signings, a team with a, a kind of quite heavy transfer window, um, needed time to settle in, similar to Watford, similar to Borough, uh, it's just the fact that Stoke have sunk much, much lower than those two teams Um, at the moment it feels like they've really got no hope at all of of challenging much higher than kind of the top half they're sat quite deep towards the bottom Uh, where are they now they are 20th and they are just two points above the drop zone so it shows where their kind of priority is going to have to lie difficult appointment to make as well because you're going to want to be looking long term in terms of someone that can get Stoke back to where the owners clearly think they belong given the investment, but also if, yeah, anyone in that kind of bottom, I'd say maybe six or seven, really feels at risk, potentially Birmingham and below. It it feels like the relegation battle has really opened up a bit after it felt like the three teams have been cut adrift. So Stoke have to be careful. They've made the change off the back of uh, four consecutive defeats or pretty heavy consecutive defeats maybe aside from the Plymouth one uh, winless in six as well which actually came on to quite a positive run so one that I'm pretty sure they felt that they needed to make and there's quite a few championship jobs opening up at the moment aren't there
0: there is uh, Stu quickly um, round up quickly um, of course the, the gap is growing for Town seven points now ahead of Leeds so what's the stat on
1: the um, in the seventh place Yeah, just looking at the table now, from 21st place Huddersfield, just above the drop zone, are on 21 points. And then there's only a nine-point gap from them all the way up to Sunderland in sixth. So that's classic kind of congested championship table, which really puts into context that Ipswich Town are now 18 points clear of sixth. That's the most mind-blowing stat of it all. And, And just... When we keep talking about everything that's going on, it's almost like overwhelming. It's just insane how well it's gone. I don't think you would have found a single person associated with Ipswich, even the most optimistic believer out there that would have painted this scenario as we head into Christmas. It's, It's unbelievable. I'm still kind of, we're in a sort of a, I think we are just sort of pinching ourselves a little bit about it all still at the moment, aren't we?
2: I think it's. So I've done this to Ross twice now. Yeah, I think it's well that you look at last season as well. Their points totals so it's forty-eight it'd be enough to keep them up in the championship. Last season's championship ended up with um, Cardiff ended up on forty-nine, the last spot above the relegation zone, twenty-first. Um, anyone going to stick their neck out? This feels like a Ross thing that he's going to come out
1: and. and Do you stick know what?
0: <laughs> Outside the away and when I was doing game day, I was like, do I do it? Do I do it on there? Do I put my neck on the line? But it's like, oh, man, it's too what?
1: soon. As in top six guaranteed? Yeah, yeah. Is that, yeah, that, I, I is that what cool. you're talking about?
0: Actually, no, no. I'm actually thinking even more further.
1: But I stopped. Okay. I stopped really? I stopped no, I wow.
0: Stopped I wouldn't
2: myself. go further than that
0: because... Cause, funny enough, yeah. this time, I think back in, you know, uh, the when Paul Cook got sacked, of course, I went, season was dead. And that was December this time, you know... December and I sort of I said it too soon maybe but obviously I was right so I don't want to jinx it now so I'm not going to say it, ladies and gentlemen. But I was there was one stage before game day I literally went, do I say it? But I bottled it so um, I'm not going to say it yet.
2: It just feels to me a bit like you've got the top four, you then got West Brom and I, I'm just not inspired by the chasing pack that much. I just think it's a load of sides you'd say are good and they. Be kind of like those playoff chasers in most years that might kind of have an outside chance and, and end up finishing, kind of yeah, top half, good side. But none of them really stand out outside of that top five. They all just feel like pretty nice, comfortable teams. Sunderland, for example, are a side that just sacked their manager because of the results and they're sixth. And below that, Cardiff, hit and miss. Hull, a couple of pretty disappointing defeats Preston have been woeful recently and then you're getting on to Watford Blackburn Middlesbrough all kind of field transition teams and sure the gap up to six is not that big but the gap in terms of the top four and I'm going to say top five because I think that West Brom albeit not at the same level are still a really good team that I can't see not making it uh, it just feels like in terms of quality at least that, that there's quite a lot there and fingers crossed it will maintain that kind of thing. The January transfer window can obviously change a lot, but when we sit here at the moment, it really would need a a huge change to alter things massively in terms of that perspective.
1: Yeah, I I think history has taught us that going very early on predictions (laughs) can come back to bite you. I mean, I think it was the case with Sheffield Wednesday. In in general, I think Sheffield uh, Sheffield Wednesday last season, I think there was a lot of predictions around them which I think most people would have concurred with that that looked sort of unblowable and and the wheels came off you can't see the wheels coming off spectacularly for Ipswich famous last words because of I mean again probably one of the most impressive things is that they've only lost twice and it's the it's the shortage of games that they lose because to, to to really sort of hammer it home to make up that sort of 18 point gap that's a minimum of seven games that a team has from below has got to better Ipswich's result and the reality is it's you know that that's got to be a win compared to a defeat so the reality is it's probably going to be, that's going to be wins compared to a draw so the reality is it's probably got to be at least nine nine games that somebody's got a better and we've only got 26 left can you Alex reeled off the teams just outside the top six can you see any of them bettering nine of Ipswich's results over I the think- last 26 games just to
2: put it into context, West Brom, Sunderland and Cardiff have had nine wins all season.
1: So, yeah, there you go. I don't, you don't mm. want to tempt fate. I mean, you're going right back to when Joe Royal's team were were storming it at the top of the championship and and, and some predictions around that sort of came back to to haunt people that that was done and dusted and, and it wasn't. So, yeah, it, we're not even halfway into this season yet, but the reality is Ipswich are looking pretty... Pretty good for a top six finish, and we're not even at halfway. I mean, if you'd have said that before a ball was kicked, uh, yeah, unbelievable.
0: Yeah, incredible. Um, and, of course, Kim McKenna says, yeah, not looking at the table, which is a lie. You've got to look at the table <laughs> at some stage because you need to know where a team is in the league just to head the game. So that's a lie. They do. He goes
2: back team. home. He has a nice glass of wine. He has a little look. He just goes... <laughs> And he so puts just, his phone down and then he goes on y Scout for the next eight hours.
1: <laughs> yeah. Shall I just call him out on that next time when he says we don't look at the table?
0: That's a lie, Kieran. You sir are, the... are a liar. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you do. You do look at it because you want to see the, the lovely points total that we've got so far, um, which yeah, is just incredible. 48 points, 20 games played, 15 wins, 43 goals scored as well, boys,
1: which is just... I did notice a little quirk with Kieran McKenna actually talking about post-match press conference. You know, we talk about him being like no stone unturned, really meticulous, really detailed with everything. You know, the the flow of the training ground, all little minor things have to be just so with Kieran McKenna. I've noticed that in a post-match press conferences, all the journalists sort of come up and they put down their dictaphones and their mobile phones to record, sort of scattered haphazardly across the desk in front of him. And as he's kind of... Going through his answers, Kieran McKenna slowly just sort of moves one and just turns it to make sure they're just so ninety-degree angles, perfectly spaced out. Just you know, that's just that's that's a little sort of insight into how Kieran McKenna likes order and things to be sort of uh, yeah predictable and and just right and correct. I thought that was a nice little quirk that I noticed at the weekend. He does it quite a lot. Have you seen that, Alex?
2: Yeah, I noticed him pick up my phone. It was one of the ones that played for pride, and I was like. God, is he gonna like start scrolling on it? It was, <laughs> it was the first time that I noticed it. And I kind of I was sat there. I wasn't actually talking at the time. I think it was Graham who was doing it. And he's he picked up my phone. And I was just thinking, I I've never been to oh, a little Google selfie. Phone, with I, it. No. I was thinking, is he gonna like look at my background? Is he gonna look at my notes what what's going on there? Is he gonna try and like break through my code? Is he smart enough that he knows my password? <laughs> um, yeah, that was um a little bit. Unique. I didn't expect him to do that one, but um, we'll, we'll need to have a, a closer look at his um, phone
0: checkers game that he likes to play. So Putting them all side by side, yeah. There we go. Kieran McKenna. There we go. Uh, well, boys, um, what a pod. It's been an enjoyable chat, as always. to chat about another town win. Um, obviously, uh, Watford is going to be a big one, but obviously there's a big one on Saturday as well. Uh, the East Anglian Derby. Um, it's going to be a big week. I uh, hope everyone's <laughs> looking forward to it. A lot of content to bring you. Um, obviously, we've got a, a, a podcast special with me with Jim Magilton, the last manager to beat Norwich. Uh, that will be out on Tuesday. So you may already listen to Jim Magilton One, you're just listening to this on your trip to Watford. So whatever you listen in order, check it out. Six AM, chatting to Jim about his time at town um, as a manager and as, as a player. And um, also, of course, we've got the live show on Thursday night, 7.30, all on all the platforms, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and YouTube, obviously. Uh, So tune in for that, get involved, and all that jazz. Um, Stu, any other business from you?
1: No other business.
0: Very good. AJ, any other business from you, my friend? Uh, Big week ahead. Of course, we've got a a lot of content to read as well, so check out all the stuff we'll be putting out there as well.
2: Yeah. This is exciting. I think this is probably the biggest week um, that I've covered town in, so it's quite a unique one. Um, lots coming up. We'll, we'll have to see how the next kind of few days pan out. I'm definitely going to be doing quite a lot of uh, Derby Day build-up, talking to. Well, we've already spoken to a few players about the Derby and got all the kind of the big hype piece that will probably be out. I'd say around Wednesday, Thursday time, just to get everyone really in the mood for for later this week. But um, that will come after Tuesday's trip to Vicarage Road, which, as we touched upon, will be tough.
0: Um, If nothing else for me, at least, it's only about an hour down the road, so not too bad. Indeed. Well, um, bring it on, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy. um, If you're going to the game... um hopefully another town win and um, if you're not follow the coverage with us and have a podcast in the bag many more pods to come this week so stay tuned um, as ever shout out to our sponsors at Manscaped use the code 20% no use the code KOA K- get 20% off and, and also follow us on all our socials at Kings of Anglia and also give us a 5 star review let us know how you think the pod is going uh, with our new AJ and everything and all that sort of stuff uh, thanks again for listening and bye bye for now